Just before we get started, the Second Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations. This includes the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai. We would also like to acknowledge the Sutsina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations and all people who make their home on Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta. But now that we've paid respects to people that were here before us, let's start the pod. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Second Act Podcast. And today's guest was one of my favorites to listen to. All of them are really, really good pods, but I could really compare my past experiences with this guest. Yeah, Ryan Wilkes is a super interesting fella who's got a lot of varied experiences in his life, whether it's some of the athletic endeavors that he undertook when he was younger uh, through going to college to get something that he, a degree he he was, you know, really not all that invested in. It was just something that he was, he could knew he could grind through, and then, uh, and then from the times when he actually did the work to realizing he wanted to to carry on and do something more with it, and uh, and then where that trip took him, I thought it was all pretty interesting. Well, yeah, and um, usually when I listen to the pod beforehand, I pick out one or two things that I thought was a really cool story. But for today's pod, I couldn't really do that because I just enjoyed this entire pod. Ryan Wilkes has such a interesting story he's such a smart man and a lot of his story like he talks about in the early beginnings how did he necessarily love social studies no but he had to be the best at it that's why he got good grades in social studies and that really resonated with me because that's how I used to think that's how I still sometimes think and so it's it was really really cool to hear that from someone who's experienced all those things beforehand and how he's managed to turn that more negative way of thinking into a a positive experience for him yeah, that's a great that's a great uh, insight, Liam. I, I never thought of it that way. That's uh, really cool. That that's what you took from it. I'm sure um, I'm sure Ryan will be be happy to hear that he uh, he touched a chord within within somebody. Anyway, um, really cool pod. Uh, fortunate to have access to people like Ryan who who are willing to sit down and talk with us. So without any further ado, Ryan Wilkes. Thanks a lot for having me, Gord. Excited to chat with you. Yeah, it's uh, it's really neat to be able to. Uh, sit down after kind of looking at your body of work and understanding just how diverse some of the things um, you're doing and have done are and uh, to kind of get the guided tour through it because if you try to follow along chronologically um, there's going to be some some right and left turns that that kind of leave you wondering so so I think this is a really good opportunity uh, to sit down and, and chat about some of the unique and fun things that you've been doing with your life yeah definitely I know it's um when I tell people my background and, and how I got into what I do now, um, I get some interesting uh, looks and comments sometimes because it's it's a bit of an unconventional pathway uh, into into filmmaking, which is my career now. So yeah, I'm excited to to chat about it. So uh, you're you're doing the filmmaking and and some different things um, now, but I mean that wasn't always kind of what was in in uh in store for you or, or what you thought might be in store for you um you you grew up kind of a, a little bit in the oil field life that your that your dad worked in you lived in in some of the the best places alberta has to offer but we can talk about rainbow lake at a different time why don't you just talk <laughs> a little bit about uh about your experience growing up in alberta and and you know you guys did move a little bit so so talk about what that was like yeah i mean born and raised in alberta um and did everything yeah even did my undergraduate degree up up the road in edmonton but spent most of my life in calgary and you know it was great i didn't really know anything else like the city was growing at the time um great place to to play hockey which is you know the first sport i really loved and played growing up um and fantastic just great outdoors you know we like to go camping and um go a lot did a lot of fishing with my dad and my grandpa as a kid so really love growing up in alberta it's interesting i was reading through some of the material that's published about you and, and you mentioned that um you, you didn't do a lot of downhill skiing living in calgary growing up that that, that was something that came later and, and that's always kind of something that people are are doing in Calgary just because of the proximity it's interesting that you were an outdoorsy type of guy but never got into that yeah like we you know as I said like fishing was kind of our main thing we do like lots of day trips going fishing 
Um, but in terms of getting really deep in the mountains, you know, up until I was 24 or so, I could count on maybe one hand the number of times I'd been out into the mountains, which is pretty crazy for spending so much time in Calgary. And usually it was, you know, just going out there to play rugby, of all things, you know, going to play the, the team out in Banff or going out for a tournament. So, um, yeah, we were kind of a hockey family. Me and my two brothers were we're all playing hockey and that was kind of our winter sport. And so I, there was definitely like a little bit of jealousy seeing all my friends go out uh, to the ski hills on the weekends when we weren't playing games. But that was something I got to discover a little bit later in life when I moved to New Zealand, which um, I'm sure we'll get to in a bit. Yeah, that's for sure. We, we want to touch on that. But uh, but so so you, you graduate high school in Calgary and, and you said you you know, you went up to Edmonton to, to start your undergrad degree. Um, your dad obviously, you know, was a, was an engineering technologist with, uh, you know, a major oil company. Um, you know, was that, you know, something that you ever thought like, man, it, it might not be the most um, riveting job in the world, but it, it makes a good living and you get a lot of flexibility or, or right out of the gate was something more creative, the thing that you were going to do. Yeah. I mean, it was exactly that. I, never put much thought into it as a 17 year old kid applying for university you know you have a completely different mindset than you do when you actually become an adult yeah. <laughs> when it comes to selecting what you want to do with your life and so when you give that kind of power to a 17 year old you know the the decision making process that was going on in my head it was like okay what's the shortest amount of time to make the most amount of money that you know i can grind through and I knew I could grind through almost everything. So it was really like, okay, four-year degree, what's the best option? And, you know, at the time I graduated, uh, graduated university in 2013 and, you know, the business was pretty good. Oil and gas was not bad at that time. And, you know, there was lots of jobs for, for engineers coming out of school. And um, so that kind of just seemed like the go. But when I was, you know, 15, 16, 17, I was really pushing to like be a pro athlete that was actually my first kind of dream um and you know as you kind of get to your later teens you get to see if that's actually going to come true mm -hmm. um and it you know the moment for me when i kind of decided that it wasn't going to be true was after my first year of university i was 18 i had the opportunity to play uh, a little bit with the men's national sevens rugby team and uh that was an amazing experience and really cool to, to wear that jersey for a couple months over the summer but in order to be a part of that program to be kind of you know a staple player in that program you have to move to victoria and at the time uh the university of victoria wasn't offering the engineering program that i was really wanting to do uh, which was materials engineering at u of a and so i decided to stay in alberta instead of coming out to victoria to kind of chase that dream of becoming a professional rugby player um and so i stayed at u of a ran track and field on the university team play rugby for the university team but that dream kind of started to fade away and the reality started to sink in that you're you're going to be an engineer <laughs> which is a as an engineering tech myself um you know that that's horrific when this when it finally dawns on you that the best it's going to be is an engineer man uh, anyways that's so so at that point um you you i guess weren't so enamored that you wanted to just jump out and and go be an engineer so you decided to, to do some uh you know some graduate level courses and, and see where that uh the the academic portion of that could take you yeah, well, so after graduating in 2013, actually, I came back to Calgary and worked for two years with a small corrosion engineering consulting company. So we were doing all kinds of um, like material recommendation programs, corrosion mitigation and uh, inspection, cathodic protection, all that awesome stuff we were doing for operators. And I stuck at it for two years, but by the you know the end of those two years, I kind of looked around to see what was going on with the folks who were in positions that I would be in one day. And I just thought to myself, this, this probably isn't for me. So I started looking for, for other opportunities and, you know, I was never 
I was a great student in high school. Like I was very much like, and I was, I think part of the reason I was such a good student is just because I wanted to be the best at everything I did. Like I didn't necessarily love like social studies or, or even like physics. Like I never really loved physics or a bunch of subjects, you know, but like, I just wanted to be the best of them. And yep. so I would just work my ass off to, to make sure that like I was getting the best grades in all of my classes. Um, and then that didn't work out in university because this, you know, school got really hard in university and, you know, you, you rely a lot more on having a community of people around you to, to support you and, you know, great study groups and all that kind of stuff. Um, so my first two years of undergrad were a real struggle. I finally picked up the slack in my last two years and, and got pretty good grades. Um, but never grades that I really thought were actually going to get me into graduate studies. And so it was funny when I had had enough of the engineering job and started applying for PhD positions, the position that I ended up getting actually really liked that I had two years of real world practical experience in corrosion science. Um, and so even though it wasn't directly related, even though my research ended up being in uh, corrosion in the body, um, it was still kind of related enough that my, my supervisor kind of looked at it as like a practical master's degree. Um, and I ended up getting that PhD position. So, so at this point you're, you're you know, you've got, like you said, you've, you've had the, a number of years now where you've realized that uh, that initial dream of a pro athlete was just not something that was going to work out. And, and then you kind of did the next best thing. You went and got this engineering degree that, um, you know, everybody, nobody's going to fault you for that, right? Something concrete you can fall back on. Uh, you even went and did it for a couple of years. Um, maybe didn't love it, but, but you were getting some practical experience. And, uh, and then now you're, you're looking at this PhD program, but it's not a PhD program in your backyard or even up the road anymore. You're moving across the world for this. Yeah, that's right. So I, and that was kind of by design. I was, I was only applying for PhD programs in different countries around the world. And just so happened that the one the uh, farthest away was the one I ended up going with. So I, I made the move to Christchurch, New Zealand, uh, beautiful little city and yeah, and started this journey to getting my doctorate in uh, bioengineering. Um, and I guess just quickly, my research there was all about uh, materials design for biodegradable orthopedic implants. So basically, you know, you break a bone, many of us have had this experience, you break a bone, you need to get a plate and screws put in there to hold her in place while the healing process happens. Well, we were designing these plates and screws that your body can reabsorb uh, when the bone is done healing. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty interesting stuff. And it kind of like it's engineering, it's the, uh, you know, the anatomy portion that that uh, that they were interested in. And, and it's all and it's useful to humanity, too. Right. Like it's something that the, that the world can use. That was my criteria for my research is like this needs to be able to have an impact uh in the world you know i don't want to be doing something that is like you know you can get pigeonholed so quickly into studying absolutely nothing in a phd so i was really happy you know a lot of my research was experimental hands-on in the lab which i love i love being able to set my own hours you're essentially like being an entrepreneur um, depending on what your PhD is like in mine, I had quite a hands-off supervisor. So it was basically, you know, doing my own hours, doing like budgeting, all this, obviously time management is the biggest thing that you learn when you do a PhD. Um, and just like self, um, drive and determination is probably a prerequisite, but something that you develop even more of <laughs> when you do a PhD. Well, and it would be like any, any of those, like everybody who gets to that level has a certain amount of that um but there's somebody in that program who was the least self-regulated person it's you know and you have to strive to not be that person you can you know there's a certain minimum level and there's more and it's it's nice to get into a situation where you have to push beyond that because your supervisor is a little more hands-off or your time demands are a little varied and uh, and you know coming out of it because that's kind of at that point at that level um, 
it's it's about coming out of it you have to understand exactly what you put into it is what you got out of it absolutely i mean a lot of people i think two groups of people that will for sure understand this are um entrepreneurs and and phd students it's like you know you start something and it's like okay you're not going to see the payoff of this for four years like have fun go for mm -hmm. it go wild. Yeah. that's basically what they tell you when you walk in the door there and it's incredibly daunting to to come up with a plan um to have to revise that plan 20 times before you get it right um and you know to be patient and to keep all your ducks in a row for for at least four years uh so yeah it taught me so much just about managing those expectations managing my time and getting results at the end of the day and and you were in in new zealand so you're halfway around the world or all the way around the world um and and you're doing other things too like a lot of uh the material that i found on the internet about you is based off of the things you were doing while you're in new zealand not pursuing your phd so so you had a lot of life outside of that program right yeah i'm not i was not the typical phd student i mean i worked very hard i got all my work done but like when i wasn't in the lab or at my desk i was sending it somewhere i was yeah. exploring i was going on crazy adventures um and you know i think what did this for me and this is a piece of advice that i give to like any young person who or really I mean, anyone who doesn't have like really solid roots in a place who who's able to, you know, possibly get up and move somewhere, I tell them like, go somewhere where you don't know anyone, move somewhere where you don't know a single person, because it forces you so far outside your comfort zone, forces you to find a whole new set of people to hang out with. It forces you to really ask yourself important questions about what actually matters to you without the chit chat of all the influences, you know, family, friends that you've grown up with your whole life. So it really gave me this opportunity to reset and just be like, who, who am I? And what do I want to do? Who do I want to be? And, you know, we were talking earlier about living in Calgary my whole life, but not exploring the Rockies. Well, New Zealand's got some incredible mountains on the South Island. And I was just like, I have to go explore. I just felt this drive to like, get out and explore as much as possible. And so I, uh, that's exactly what I did. I had a little GoPro at the time and I just started going on backcountry adventures, overnight hikes in, in the mountains and making little vlogs and putting them on YouTube for people back home to, to follow, follow along. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things that, um, I, I did sit down and, and went through, um, your, your memories of Mount Cook, uh, short film that you put on there and and like i was saying uh, before we started recording um to to the point of what you were just talking about you, you 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 made a comment in there that you should explore it might not be comfortable but you may end up living a story worth telling and and i thought that it was really um apropos of what i'm trying to do with the podcast of, of putting people's stories that are worth telling you know even though that you you, you might just be a person that they walk by on the subway um or, or wherever you've got all this information this great story all these different experiences that that can change somebody's life if they just have the opportunity to hear them and i think it's really cool that you kind of had the forethought to document this stuff in a manner that that makes it i mean you have you're obviously incredibly skilled at at capturing these things and shaping this the narrative but i mean you just have you, you had the forethought to to capture the raw footage and i think that's a really unique thing um maybe more so as technology's caught up to people who have these ideas but but you still have to go and do it and you did and i think that that's really cool that you did that you're right you do and and the hardest part is getting started you know and i'm so happy like looking back you know every once in a while i'll just sit down with my partner jillian and we'll just watch some of these old vlogs and just kind of reminisce on how far we've both come since those early days and you know especially me with just looking at some of my first ones because that memory of mount cook one is um you know i that's a really good one i you know i made that like at the end of my time in new zealand and um that's kind of a compilation of, of many trips to that particular spot but some of my original vlogs when we just moved there 
are, you know, as you can imagine, <laughs> when you start anything, just absolutely well, terrible. <laughs> don't go listen to the first few episodes of the Second Act podcast. Oh, uh, yeah, there I, you go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But you're right. It's um, like I said, that last line of that of that video. Um, it's really uncomfortable sometimes to to live a story worth telling um it you know but like i don't know i think there's you know i'm the kind of person who really thrives off of that discomfort and starting a new career in anything switching gears is always super uncomfortable but uh you know the payoff that you get from really doing what makes you happy is completely worth it for me well, and, and that actually one one last thing that I gleaned out of that, I really enjoyed that, as you may know, because I want to talk, keep talking about it. But uh, um, you, you mentioned how people, you know, get this uh, bucket list mentality and they just go, they go somewhere and they tick the box and they go somewhere and they tick the box. But with Mount Cook, it was very different for you. It was, that was kind of your place and you kept going back there. Like you said, this was a compilation of a bunch of trips. Um, what about Mount Cook? And I, I, you know, we don't have to get too philosophical here, but what about it kept drawing you back there and, and making you want to keep going back to there instead of checking out some other new place? Mm -hmm. It's just, I mean, anyone who's been will just kind of know how magical it is. Um, Mount Cook is New Zealand's tallest mountain. And, you know, it's not like other, some other countries tallest mountain where it's like buried deep in a range and it takes days to get there. Um, it's very visible from, from some easy trails, but, but there are a few backcountry huts that give you, you know, an even more spectacular view um, of the mountain. And, and for me, it's just like a series of incredible experiences had um, kind of in and around that region uh, with, with great people that uh, are now lifelong friends. Um, and also some great wildlife that really kind of made me get into wildlife conservation and, and conservation filmmaking. Um, and so it's just this, just like so many key moments and key realizations happen for me while adventuring in that region. Yeah. So, so when you're done in New Zealand, you, you come back to Canada, is that, you know, you're, you kind of wrapped up your time there? So yeah, wrapped up in New Zealand and it was kind of like a soft wrap up. I really left a lot of open ends, including my PhD. Uh, and I just went to Africa for three and a half months um, oh, yeah. on a big trip. Myself and a few friends uh, went to Kilimanjaro, Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania to attempt to paraglide off the summit of the mountain. And it was for a big charity mission that we were doing with a, a bunch of all the other folks from all over the world. Um, raising money for a rural Maasai community in, in the middle of Tanzania. And um, I made a documentary about the trip. And that was my first kind of big film, my first real film where I felt I could, you know, call myself a filmmaker after making that and getting it into some festivals. Um, but yeah, spent spent a few months in, in Africa making films. Um, documenting really cool conservation stories, uh, still having the PhD up in there and then coming back to Canada uh, right at the start of 2020 before uh, before the world shut down. <laughs> oh, wow. So that's like, uh, you know, you've, you've got all these, you got the, the Africa part out of the way, I guess. So you didn't have this like that immediate thing burning, but like this was kind of the, the, the first step to the rest of your life, you were going to get all these other things going on now that you had your PhD. And oh, by the way, you have like 72 days before the world shuts down. So use it wisely. Yeah, I came home. It was, I actually came home Christmas Eve 2019, had the holidays with the family. It was excellent. Um, then one of my friends that I went to Africa with came to Canada to visit. We edited the documentary together and then just like literally just as he's leaving he actually had to leave because new zealand was shutting their borders he's like i gotta go home um and then we all know what happened there so i just come home had spent like two months in my parents basement editing this film haven't reconnected with like any of my friends or anything and here i am this new person you know like i'm not the person that they all knew when i left and i'm like 
now it's lockdown, it's COVID. What, what do I do? So it was like kind of a panic. Cause I was like, Oh my God, like I need to rediscover Calgary in a way I need to, you know, get settled here and get into the creative community that I had no affiliation with last time I was here, like five years prior. So, yeah. Well, And you've, you've clearly had like, you know, for the last X amount of years of your life, like you were driven and purposeful with everything that you did, right. To, you know, university and the rugby and then the PhD, this trip to Africa. And now it's like, by the way, not only can you not have this purpose and, and this drive because you're not allowed to see people, we don't know when it's going to end. That had to be like, a, a, and then you, like you say, you want to reintegrate into, into this world that you weren't a huge part of the last time you were here. It, it had to have been, um, there had to have been moments where you were like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, completely. It was a huge shock to the system. Um, all momentum came to a screeching halt. Basically, I felt like this film that I was making at the time that we had shot in Africa, like everything was kind of relying on this film having some success because I wasn't getting any freelance work in Calgary because I was brand new. Nobody knew me. Um, it was it was so challenging. And so basically what I what I started to do was just approach different outlets um, and tried to uh, you know, different media outlets for social media videos, all kinds of stuff and use the videos or use the footage that I'd shot in Africa to make content for them, to, mm -hmm. to make some money, to, to keep me going in the meantime, um, which worked quite well. And thankfully I had quite a large library of stuff from all my travels around the world to, uh, kind of keep me busy with some smaller projects. Um, so, yeah. So as the world starts to, you know, ebb and flow through the, the COVID, um, pandemic and and things are picking up and slowing down and different things are happening how how do you work to get your name out there i guess within the calgary scene and and start to you know even if even if the world's not opening up in in a manner that you know would benefit somebody in your position it is opening up to a point it's up to you to adapt to it what is what was that like of course so you know as soon as and I'm always doing this. Like I'm always just cold emailing people that I want to get myself in a room with. And it always works out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. I shouldn't say that. Like, like some, some things work out. Like, you know, if I send, if I send 10 cold emails, I'm always getting replies to like one or two of them. And those are the, those opportunities end up being the ones that kind of, catapult me into another opportunity a new you know a new a new opportunity so what i was doing at that time was like reaching out to mostly people on instagram instagram as a networking tool i, I find really fantastic Got, met some great people through it and just like reaching out to uh folks in calgary who have creative agencies are doing a lot of um shooting for tourism boards and they ended up becoming great friends with these guys uh, who run a really great creative agency here or back in Calgary. Um, and they took me on and I was, and I was doing a lot of shooting for them, which was, which was really, really great. Um, so yeah, it's just like this nonstop kind of like hustle mentality where if I don't have like enough lines in the water, I'll just keep putting them out there because I know that if someone and you'd be surprised too. like for me, I know I've sent emails and they, you know, two, three months go by and they don't get back to you. But in the fourth, fifth month, sometimes they something like reminds them, they're like, oh, there's that guy who said he could was good at this thing and they get back to you. So I find just like being proactive all the time um, really helped me through those tough times of lockdown and, you know, not being able to get out and go meet people yeah i've i've said this a couple of times recently in in on the pod um talking to people who who have a similar story that i just don't believe in serendipity like i i just believe that you know the you send 10 out you get one back the one back might not be the one you were hoping for but that that one has the end to a different one that's the one you were hoping for on steroids and it's like so much better you know i, I had that happen with um the the ex-premier of saskatchewan brad wall who's notoriously doesn't do podcasts 
and I just reached out to him on Instagram. And uh, I don't know, six, eight weeks later, he's like, I think I'm interested. And that's all he wrote. And I was like, <laughs> wow, is there an email I can, can send to you? And it was like, literally like exactly what you'd think, you know, a 55 year old dude's email. It's like B wall or something. And yeah, of course it is. And so I sent it to him and then he was like, yeah, let's do it. And we sat down. He's like, I, I'll give you 20 minutes. And then we ended up chatting for an hour. I had 20 minutes. I'm like, Hey, that's 20. Are you good? And he's like, no, man, this is fun. Let's keep going. And I was just like, how did I end up getting Brad Wall when Brad Wall doesn't do podcasts? And it's because I asked. Do you know what I mean? I love that. Yeah. yeah that's so good. So so you you come out of uh, COVID and and you've got some lines in the water, like you said, and a, a fairly, you know, well-known filmmaker uh, picks you up and, and has you doing some work for him. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about that and some of the places that's taken you? Well, yeah, so... When I was in Calgary, I was doing a lot of work for, uh, you know, commercial work. So people like Tourism Alberta, um, different tourism outfits. That was kind of the thing I got into while I was in New Zealand is doing a lot of tourism work because you get to travel, you know, you get to go do really cool tourism experiences that people get to do, you know, that they want to promote for people when they come visit a, a place. And so, you know, as a creative, you get to do all those things, stay in cool places and and make fun, fun videos to, to showcase regions. So that's the kind of stuff I was working on when I first came back to Calgary, which was great. But, you know, I really decided that, like, I want to be a documentary filmmaker. Um, I don't really commercial projects are great and the money is is really great. Um, but there's something very satisfying for me about telling real stories. Um, it's it's much more rewarding for me and is able to make a lot bigger impact uh in the world in general and so i started basically again cold emailing the best documentary filmmakers in the country and um one of those people is named niobe thompson he's now my boss he he owns a company called handful of films and has won, you know, every top award for documentary filmmaking in in our country. Um, and I cold emailed him and I said, I want to work for you. What what do I have to do? This is what I've done already. What else do I have to do? At the time, he was living in Victoria. I was in Calgary, um, but uh, he had actually just moved his company from Edmonton to Victoria. He was coming back to Edmonton to pick up some stuff, so I drove three hours up the road to go have coffee with him. And uh, he really appreciated that. We kept in touch. Um, had a couple other things happen while we were keeping in touch, one of which was being selected as a Jackson Wild Media Lab Fellow. Uh, for those who don't know, Jackson Wild is kind of the biggest uh, natural history, science, documentary um, film festival in North America when it comes, especially with wildlife and, and science topics. Um, so I got to go to that as, as a Media Lab Fellow, which is basically means you get to go to a 10-day immersive workshop on documentary filmmaking and, and communication um, and storytelling. So I got to go to that. Um, he thought that was great. You know, it's kind of a prestigious um, thing to be accepted into that program. And Right after I was done in Jackson, I went to Vancouver to do like a little test shoot with him for a week. And uh, we got on really well. The shoot went great. And at the end of that week, he offered me a position. Uh, he offered to move out to Victoria to come on as a cinematographer for uh, a year long contract to help me get settled out here in Victoria and to, you know, make it so that I don't have to do freelance work. I could just focus on the work that he has going on, which is really cool. Um, and as a little side note about that, actually the company, there's an American company who runs the, the media lab, the workshop that I was at in Jackson. And uh, the two guys who run that company also offered me a job at the end of that, that week. And so um, it was either going down to San Diego to work with them or coming out to Victoria to, to work with a handful of films. And uh, yeah, I chose to stay up here in Canada. Well, that's, I mean, that's an incredible story and congratulations. You, uh, you know, the little bit of work that I have watched of yours, um, I obviously don't have the palate to appreciate it, but you must be very good at what you do. 
Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It's, I just, I love the challenge of making something look good and conveying an emotion through a moving image. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool that just by the angle the camera's at or the focal length that you're using or how something's lit, you can, you can make the person, you can make the viewer uh, feel something completely, completely different. So, so yeah, my goal right now is to basically become one of the best cinematographers, uh, spe specifically documentary cinematographers in the country and, and see where that takes me. So you, you've mentioned, um, your partner a couple of times, what, uh, what goes into, you know, managing, like with the way that you've described this, it's all kind of, it comes together and these opportunities come and they're kind of like, you have to take them but you also have this other part of your life what's that like trying to manage and, and i mean your partner must have hopes and dreams and goals of her own right yeah yeah she definitely does she she's great um it is tough like especially with what i have coming um like it's been relatively mellow i would say for the past couple of years um we used to travel a lot together. She would be like my assistant shooter on a lot of my my jobs. So we work together a lot, which is fantastic. But now that it's getting kind of more into the upper echelon of production, um, yeah, I'm going to be away a lot. And so, you know, it's funny, this is something we talked a lot about and kind of set expectations for early in the relationship, because I knew this was kind of the, the type of lifestyle that I wanted to live. Um, I love being able to wake up in the morning and just be like, where do I want to go today? Um, that's a big thing for me. So yeah, we set expectations a long time ago that, you know, there's going to be times where I'm away for weeks, if not months at a time. And how are we going to manage that? And, you know, we actually had a really good test run of that because we were living in New Zealand together for quite a while, but then she moved to Australia and Indonesia for a little while. And so we did, various flavors of long distance yeah. relationships for two and a half years uh straight and so um we're we're really good at making each other still feel loved and wanted and needed even when we're apart so um yeah it's i'm i'm really grateful for her that's for sure because i can i can go away and do my own thing but still know that everything's all good with us yeah and it's it i mean it boils down to to communication and stuff and and you make your living communicating just albeit a, a completely different medium right and so it you, you just got to make sure you, you keep those other tools sharp so that that you can have that because you know to your point um she takes off to go do something on her own and and you're doing your own thing and and you have these opportunities that are just coming down the pipe to you and you're like I can't say no to this, but I also have all this other things, these other things. And it's, it would be, you know, very difficult and, and uh, it would be, it would take the shine off one or the other if you had to choose hard and fast. Right. Of course. And I, and I have to say like these decisions are made together because like, you know, our life yeah. is one life now, essentially two, two lives, but there's, there's a lot of crossover. And so, yeah these are always conversations that we have together and decisions that are made together. And um, yeah, she's got, she's, she's super creative as well. She's a photographer. And so she understands the the creative hustle and the need to kind of um, go where the wind blows sometimes. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your uh, involvement with color, the trails, you know, uh, I, I saw it, the links in your, in your newsletter and, and of course, um, I don't think I fully understood what it was until I clicked into it and saw, you know, it's then once it's visually in front of you, um, it's like, oh, this is not what I, you know, this is more than what I thought it was. Um, what, what does it mean to you and, and being involved in it? Uh, you know, where, where does that um, begin and end, I guess, for, for your, how, how involved you are with it and, and how long you will be involved with it or, or where you want to take that involvement? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Color the Trails is um, an awesome organization started by a woman named Judith. Uh, she's based in Vancouver. And basically, it's an organization that uh, supports 
people of color, indigenous people um, in exploring the outdoors. Um, you know, a lot of folks for a multitude of different reasons uh, sometimes don't feel comfortable uh, going into the outdoors, going into the mountains, doing sports like mountain biking, hiking, um, backcountry overnight hikes. Uh, they don't feel comfortable doing it by themselves. And there's, you know, sometimes there's not a lot of resources or community for them to, to feel safe doing that. And so Color of the Trails isn't, it's so awesome how they kind of just make it accessible for, for people who, who feel like they don't know where to begin uh, when accessing the outdoors. And so I've been working with Colored Trails for a couple of years now as a videographer and photographer and basically just making like little event recap videos for the different events that they have running. And so, you know, for example, just have like an intro to mountain biking day where a bunch of folks will come out and try mountain biking for the first time. Um, and, you know, they get access to all the gear that they need. Uh, at a discounted rate, they get fantastic professional guides and mentors to help them through uh, whatever they're finding difficult and get their technique right, make sure they're doing everything safely. So it's been a fantastic organization to be a part of. And I've seen a lot of people um, really find like a new sense of confidence and love for the outdoors in just going out there with people who look like them who are have the same life experiences as them and then having a lot of fun doing something that they may never have thought was made for them because they've never seen themselves represented doing it in popular media or um you know things like that yeah well and that's why like i i was i was embarrassed like when i figured out what it was because it never dawned on me that um, a person of color may not think about going to the outdoors and, and participating in it because there's no community for that, that somebody had to recognize that and build a community for that so that uh, a person may think that, that, hey, that's something I can go and do too. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm just a 40-year-old dude who lives in Calgary. You know, I think I, I, I just am so oblivious to how that works. And I just, so when I saw what you guys were doing with Color the Trails, I thought it was a really interesting thing and I, I just wanted to kind of understand a little bit more about it and even if we just include a, a three-minute chat about it I think it's probably one of the most uh, important things that could come out of this conversation for the few people that listen to my podcast that something like that's out there right yeah that's really cool now thanks for asking about it it's they're fantastic and you know they Judy has done such a good job in just organizing all kinds of different events they've done everything from kayaking to trail running to rock climbing both indoors and outdoors to skateboarding um they do a sailing trip every summer it's just like anything any kind of like outdoor adventure sport where there's kind of previously either you know been these basically anything where there's been these barriers to entry or um you know and these barriers can be everything from just like financial to like transportation. Obviously, you know, you want to go skiing and you live in Calgary. Well, you probably need a car to get out there. There's bus up to get out there, but you know, there's, a, there's so many different reasons for why people might not be able to get out there. And so to basically have an event that you can sign up for where, you know, there's going to be a bunch of folks who've had similar experiences to what you've had you can go there, you can learn safely, have fun. Um, it's just a great introduction to to the outdoors for a lot of people yeah and so that kind of bleeds into the one question i had about your uh your change makers bursary that you had and in your um in your newsletter you you said you didn't love the uh the vice media clickbait title and and it's of course it's a hyperlink and so you're just daring me to click on it to see what that clickbait title was um and when i read it i mean again my my uh, 40 year old white white dude brains like i mean david attenborough is not the worst person to be compared to but uh do you do you want to just talk about you know something like that winning that that uh bursary and then and then seeing it portrayed like that like it had to feel like one step forward two steps back or, or one step forward half a step back i don't know 
Well, you know Vice, like they'll do anything for the click, right? And so I wasn't even surprised with the title. Um, the title is something like Ryan Wilkes wants to be the black David Attenborough, which I definitely did not say during that interview. Um, but you know, they they'll make up their titles. But but what I did say, which I think is quite important to highlight, is that some you know, as as this person was interviewing me, I had this thought pop into my mind about what my life may have been like if David Attenborough was a black man. Because, you know, I grew up listening to David, you know, reading these Nat Geo books like crazy. You know, I was obsessed with the natural world as a young kid, but I didn't think there was a future for myself there, number one, because, you know, we're told that like biology and zoology degrees are a dead end, you're not gonna make any money. And, you know, you live in Alberta, so, you know, what you should be doing is going making money and working in the oil and gas industry. Um, but also number two is like never seeing someone who looked like me um, in a position like David Attenborough's in, you know, presenting on the natural world, telling people how awesome our wild spaces are. And so it was just kind of a, a thought experiment being like, what would my life have been like if David Attenborough was black? So that's where that title was derived from somehow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of in a roundabout way. Uh, one, it's vice, and two, there was also the seed of it planted. So when it came out, you're like, okay, all right, let's exactly let's get it over with. But I guess it, yeah. So for me, it was like, you know, if he was a person of color, would I have taken this roundabout way to get where I am now, like I have, to being a filmmaker who's passionate about. Uh, the outdoors, natural history, wildlife conservation, or would I have made that my goal from my teenage years? That uh, was kind of what I was getting at there. Yeah, and I suppose, um, again, we'll never know because exactly <laughs> this was this was the obstacle is the way, man. The obstacle is the way. You bet. Yeah. So. Um, you know, we've we've spent quite a bit of time here, and I want to be cognizant of of how generous you've been. But the one question I always like to kind of wrap up on is, you know, what what does success look like to you now, and does it look anything like you thought it would when you when you kind of started out heading down this path? I'll take that in reverse. So it does not look anything like I thought it was going to look like. You know, if I looked at what my 17 year old self applying for university thought success was. I thought that was, you know, the very um, surface level definition of success that I think is implied when someone talks about success, which is having a lot of money. T4s, baby, T4s, yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's really all that they're talking about. Um, for me, like now it's all success is directly, it's like a synonym for happiness. And basically what makes me happy is working on projects that I know can have an impact in the world, working on films that are going to inspire the next generation of conservationists, um, inspire people to, um, to think about how they, their impact, what kind of impact they have on our planet, um, making films about science, making films about people who push the limits of human exploration and innovation. I love adventure films um, as well. That's a, that's a big thing for me. So, you know, really just, it's about impact for me. It's like, what am I leaving behind? And am I working towards that every day? Um, it's also about getting to wake up and getting to choose what I want to do with my day. That's a big thing for me. As soon as I start to feel like, um, as soon as I start to feel a bit stale in something, to me that uh, is a sign that I have to recalibrate and make some potentially difficult decisions about what I'm spending my time on. So all of those things kind of go into what my new definition of success is.
What a great conversation with a gentleman who's got such a unique point of view. I mean, he's done so many cool things and, and he's only 30 years old. He's got so much time to hone and continue to do those things. If you uh, if you ever have an opportunity to look him up on Instagram uh, at It's Ryan Wilkes um, and see some of the things that this guy does just um, as part of his job so that he when he wakes up in the morning, he gets to do what he wants. It's really cool, uh, really cool, really fun stuff. And nothing to do with kind of what he thought he was going to do. You know, he, he really did kind of lean into that engineering background. And, and he kind of talks about how it wasn't that it was that um, bad. It's just it wasn't that good either. And I think that's the really cool part about what, what Ryan talks about. And, and, and some of the things about how he just reaches out and makes things happen for himself. When, when the chips get down, he just keeps rolling the way he knows he needs to go and lo and behold, things show up. And I think that's a great message that people kind of don't always think about when they're, when they're talking about doing something different. What if it doesn't work? Well, we'll figure it out. It's, it's going to go. So we got to figure it out. Another great show. Uh, A lot of fun to talk to Ryan. Um, Shout out to his dad, Rob, who I work with and, and is, is just as interesting as Ryan. Some of the discussions we have uh, are, are so much fun. So I appreciate Rob setting that up. And yeah, we're just having a lot of fun rolling through here. We've got some great ones. We actually have one of our first repeat guests. Uh, Pete Beskus is going to join us again. Um, I th- he would think he was episode two. And uh, we've had a couple of stops and starts trying to trying to arrange a time to record. And, um, you know, we have a couple other really interesting ones. So I really hope you continue to join us and uh, like, share, subscribe, do all the things that we have to do uh, with these things. Engage with us on Instagram at the Second Act Pod. And just uh, check us out. Keep uh, keep an eye on what we're doing. We're trying to find some new fun things. And remember, there are no wrong answers, no test at the end. So make the most out of every day. The Second Act Podcast would like to thank Ben Sound for the intro and outro music. Happy Rock. That is www.bensound.com. We'd also like to thank Chin Whiskers for the promotional consideration. You can find them at your local Tommy Guns, Original Barbershop, Amazon, or chinwhiskers.ca. And we would also like to thank you for listening. Test the microphone. No mmm noise.